Hello, everyone. Welcome back. We are the Lib Slayers, Tony and Clem. Our mission, as always, is to bring global awareness to the general public while exposing the legacy media and its demonic globalist overlords. How are you doing today, Clem? I'm good, Tony. Well, Clem, after the last three-part series with Mike on the mic detailing the horrendous crimes of the Obama administration and all of its little underlings that have been involved in a coup plot against the duly elected president, and after witnessing uh, this hysteria over the Second Amendment and everyone now calling for all the legacy media and its pawns calling for the repeal of the Second Amendment, with more and more censorship, more and more uh, aggressive nature of corporations trying to boycott certain uh, talk show uh, personalities for their beliefs and challenging some of these children that they've prodded out to be the spokesmouths of a repealing of rights. Has anything been bothering you that you want to get on top of today? Yeah, I mean, you know, Tony, it's actually a pretty long list. You know, the answer to that question is pretty broad. Uh, There's lots of shit bothering me about the way all this has been happening. But, you know, one thing that really has, has, I found really shocking, and I'm not actually a person who is shocked by very much, but one thing that has really shocked me is that I've lived long enough to see a former Supreme Court justice suggesting or calling for the repeal of the Second Amendment. Absolutely. Why don't you name who that Supreme Court justice was? Stevens, I believe it was. And I, you know, I almost, I almost forgot his name because I don't even think I want to say it. I think I'm so repulsed by this guy who allegedly at one time in his life took on the, the awesome responsibility of ensuring that the Congress and the president in his role of the three-part co-equal branch government weren't overstepping their constitutional bounds. And then he wants to suggest that the repeal of the Second Amendment, part of the Bill of Rights, is, is even actually repealable. Now, yes, it is. By the Constitution itself, under Article 5, you have a convention of the states, uh, or if you have a, a constitutional convention, okay, it can be done. But I'm here to tell you that it doesn't take a freaking constitutional scholar to understand that the Second Amendment did not establish the right to keep and bear arms. It simply recognized it among many other rights that the founders decided had to be outlined, enumerated, made clear for this generation. Because look, the, you know what? The, the average dude walking down the street in 1820 America, he well understood that he already possessed the right to keep and bear arms and that he hired that his state with the other states who created the federal government hired the federal government to protect that right, not to establish it, not to administer it, not to dispense it, not to give it to the individual citizen. The people knew then, and clearly the people today, the average guy walking down the street, may or may not know what his actual inherent God-given sovereign rights are. So I think there's a lot of people in our country today, Tony, who carry around this fabrication, this false notion that was proven false by the founding of our country that human rights are derived from the government itself. No, there are certain legal rights 
that are derived by the government that operates at the consent of the people. But there are also other rights that do not include uh, the approval or consent by the people or the government. And, and among those are, I would argue, firmly enumerated in the Bill of Rights. Which I would, uh, you can obviously see why the assault on God has been so, you know, the fervor behind it for so long by the by the left to pull God out of our lives, pull God out of the schools, and not necessarily because of a, a doctrinal issue, but because of the understanding that certain rights were ordained by a creator, not by the government, and by taking the whole notion of God giving those rights away from the people, tricking them, essence, you know, in essence, to believing that the government is the all-powerful and the government is the one that gives you these rights and the government is allowed to take them. Well, that's, that's just another form of you know, all the tyrants of old, you know, the, the, the king saying, well, you know, we talked about that, I think, in our, in our very first show. You know, the king had what he propagated to the people, divine right. God appointed me as king, therefore, what I say goes. What's the difference between that and a Congress that says, well, there is no God, and we are the supreme uh, lawmakers of the land, so what we say goes? I mean, what's the difference? Nothing. Well, yeah, I don't care if you're an atheist, okay, I don't care if you worship you know, ding-dongs covered in wet snowflakes in your backyard in a little shrine. I don't give a shit. You know, if that's what you want to worship, then worship that. But this isn't about worship. I mean, yes, the right to worship or not to worship was it was also put in the Bill of Rights. But the point that they were making is, is that these rights pre-exist any government. And they come inherent in the form of humanity. If you enter this world as a human being, you come into the world with those rights, and they are derived from a higher power than any government or any other man. And they pre-existed any form of government. They pre-exist writing those rights down and declaring them into the town square. They already exist. But the role of the government, the role of any just government, is going to be to ensure those rights are protected both from the government itself. And I mean, that's like, that's, you know, I mean, these guys were smart. They understood that downstream, as the generations passed, and men who are attracted to power come into being and come into, come into that power and begin to want to exercise more and more power and authority would want to usurp and diminish the rights of the people. And they would do it through legislation. They would do it through laws. They would do it through examples, getting away with it once and then using that as the predicate to do it again, etc. And that's why they fit to go. I mean, remember, the Constitution was already ratified. And then they had to come back and do the Bill of Rights over because some people were like, hold on, wait a second, we're, we're not, you know, we, that's great. We just put all the chains on the government, but let's go ahead and clearly identify the areas that the people need to be protected at all times. Otherwise, you know, you're going to be looking at tyranny. And I, and I think, you know, if you, if you a, a very, and I'm not talking from the standpoint of a constitutional scholar, I'm not one, but remember our founders said we hold these truths to be self-evident, meaning that anybody with a friggin' brain and an IQ over their shoe size should be able to understand these things, okay? that, you, that any person has a right to life, any person has a right to liberty, freedom, right? to not be artificially or unduly constrained by the force of either his neighbors or the government that they hire, that these things are self-evident. And, and I contend that the Bill of Rights it started out, I, I think, you know, my, my uh, constitutional history is a little off. I'm not sure that, that the parts that I got fuzzy matter, but I think that there were 17 amendments originally. 
and out of those, it, then it got whittled down to 12, and then eventually, you know, the 10 that we now have were brought into full force in 1790 or 1791, I think. Glenn, let me just, for the sake of the audience, let's actually go through each amendment and actually what it says from the Bill of Rights. I know everyone probably learned it in Constitution class in school, but there's many uh, people that have not read it. And obviously, you could see with the recent attacks on the Second Amendment, there's many people that don't understand any of it. So we'll go through all of it. So Amendment 1, Congress shall make no law respecting an establishment of religion or prohibiting the free exercise, therefore, or abridging the freedom of speech or of the press, or the right of the people peaceably to assemble and to petition the government for a, red re- a redress of grievances. Right. And, and you know what? Let's, I want to point out a couple of things, because I'm going to point to a thread that shows all of these together, and it's, and it's not just some you know, big concept of, quote, liberty. There's, there's some, some very specific, a very specific thread that ties each of these Ten Amendments together. And it is this, that in order for the people to be able to throw off tyranny, should it ever grow to such a size that it is really, really uh, intolerable, really? Because, I mean, at some point we all have to tolerate a little bit of government overreach, right? And it goes in seasons, and then, you know, the government does this, and we don't like it, so we change policy. But in the end, if the the government ever gets so big and so powerful and so all-knowing and so intrusive that it literally becomes intolerant correction, intolerable tyranny, then we have legal means to cast that form of government, whatever it's morphed into, away and restore our constitutional republic. And that's what these Ten Amendments did, is they gave us the legal basis to do that. And I would point out that in the First Amendment, the, the freedom of religion part isn't necessarily part of that thread, but the, but the freedom of speech and the freedom of the press and the right of the people to peaceably assemble, if you cannot print a handbill, which is what they had back then, and put it on the wall, talking about, you know, I mean, let's look at the, uh, the Killing of the Ides of March series, you know. If you can't get out there and talk about what the Obama administration was doing to an incoming president, unlawfully surveilling him, et cetera, then you can't expose the crimes that the government are doing, which is a very good point that, it, that has been made when people that are so ignorant and so naive and they say, well, what do I care if the government's collecting every, all this information on me? Well, what if you're a witness to a crime that the government committed and they need to shut you down? Okay, so if the people can't organize, if they can't speak freely in public, and if they can't gather in public to speak freely, then any criminal government, any criminal tyrant asshole that wants to, will be able to enslave those people. So it is absolutely central and fundamental to preserving our liberties to, to maintain and observe and recognize the inherent right of anybody to literally speak their mind freely, that this is absolutely necessary for us to maintain our liberties going forward. Great points. We'll move on. Amendment 2. A well-regulated militia being necessary to the security of a free state, the right of the people to keep and bear arms shall not be infringed. You know, same threat. If the people are not armed, as we talked about before, the Bundy Ranch situation, 
the government was trying to prevent these people from gathering. They were trying to prevent them from exercising their right to free speech, and the people showed up with guns. And the government under Obama shit the bed, didn't know what to do, and backed off, as they well should have. Uh, because the people gathered together, and guess what they did? They, they exercised just two of their constitutional rights, and you saw a, an attempt of a tyrannical government go into retreat. So those two worked together. The rest of them work in concert as well. Absolutely. We move on. Amendment 3. No soldier shall, in the time of peace, be quartered in any house without the consent of the owner, nor in time of war, but in a manner to be prescribed by law. Right. So, like, how does that connect? Right. Well, it connects because we know that during the time of our revolution and the rebellion against the king, one of the ways that the king and the British army managed to uh, stifle the organized and the organizing of the rebels was to quarter soldiers in every freaking house in the town. Because now you've got and, to, uh, a, a, and also offset a huge cost to him. Absolutely. Yeah. He, does, he could just confiscate that room, send in his spy, his redcoat spy. You know, so really, I mean, I think there's, and I'm not a constitutional scholar, so I can't make it on a legal basis, but I think there's probably, um, there is probably a, uh, a case to be made that the NSA is a military organization. It is not a civilian entity. It is a military entity. And it is, in fact, monitoring everything that's going on in every house in America if it has an electronic pulse in there. I mean, if you live in a shack in the woods and you don't have any power and you don't have any cell phones, okay, you're exempt. But otherwise, you have the military in the United States monitoring everything that's happening inside houses. And I think that, that very idea is repugnant to the Third Amendment in principle. If you don't have, you know, if the king doesn't have his redcoats in every house in the town, you know, I mean, look, he could come in and take over a couple houses or a school boarding house and put everybody up there, right? Which he did have garrisons like that. But typically there would be at least one soldier in every house of a town if he had the soldiers to do it. And especially if there was somebody suspected of being maybe an insurgent or a rebel or one of those people with a cockamamie crazy idea of liberty. And we got to go put a soldier in their house. So now you're not even free to have a discussion at your own dinner table because you've got a soldier sitting there. And the founders found that absolutely repugnant to liberty and repulsive to freedom. Absolutely. We move on. Amendment 4. The right of the people to be secure in their persons, houses, papers, and effects against unreasonable searches and seizures shall not be violated, and no warrants shall issue but upon probable cause supported by oath or affirmation and particularly describing the place to be searched and the persons or things to be seized. Again, same threat. You know, if, if you've got an Obama administration that is overreaching its constitutional powers and uh, spying on uh, a political opponent to stop them from uh, winning an election fairly, then this is a violation of the Fourth Amendment uh, of, of candidate Trump. Okay, we saw him do it, and so there's a violation of the Constitution going on here by the guy and his firm, you know, his his uh, uh, organization that he created to fill the seat of government in the presidency, you know, clearly violating the Fourth Amendment. Now, the reason that's illegal under Constitution, under the Constitution, uh, is because you know, if if your house can just be opened and searched at any time, you know, by just take it down to a local level. If let's say you're running for sheriff. 
uh, and the local sheriff decides you're formidable and he's going to lose and he wants to keep his power, and he doesn't have a warrant, he has no reasonable suspicion, he has no idea, but he needs to stop you from winning. So you know what? He can just send his deputies down, they knock on your door, you open it, they just take you outside and they go in and rip your house apart looking for something, anything to pin on you. As a, a or, reason, and if they don't, and if they don't have something, something falls out of their pocket that they attribute to you. We've seen this time and again. Yeah, and we're not implying that, you know, this is what the police do. I'm sure a million people no. would argue against it, but we're talking about actual time of a draconian style government that's sending in the minions to literally trump up charges on you, and right. to and either think- remove you or, you know, in in, in days of old bring you up on treason and have you executed. Right, because you pose a, an existential threat to their power and, and their ambition to take away liberty. I mean, look, if we ever find ourselves in a place where the government can at will come into anybody's home that it deems as whatever threat it wants to, simply to search without warrants, without probable cause, without any due process, and we're already there in America, believe it, to a certain extent and within some very specific examples, this has been happening. Um, it's not a grand coordinated conspiracy as of yet, although there's people that, that foster that stuff because it serves their uh, agenda. But if we ever find ourselves in a country where that's permissible and the people are cool with it, then what is to stop a tyrannical government? You know, that's another one. So the Fourth Amendment in a line of four that's stringed together, these are the tools you people are going to need. This generation they were speaking to, this is the tools your generation is going to need in order to prevent... Uh, your your uh, Republican form of government caving into uh, a tyrant, caving into a tyranny. So it's just yet another one. So again, the threat is there. All right, let's move on. Amendment 5. No person shall be held to answer for a capital or otherwise infamous crime unless on a presentment or indictment of a grand jury, except in cases arising in the land or naval forces or in the militia when in actual service in time of war or public danger, nor shall any person be subject for the same offense to be twice put in jeopardy of life or limb, nor shall be compelled in any criminal case to be a witness against himself, nor be deprived of life, liberty, or property without due process of law nor shall private property be taken for public use without just compensation. You know, the first thing that kind of goes, the light bulb that goes off in my head, I mean, I think the thread from the first four continues here rather obviously. But, you know, I'm a, I'm a military veteran, you're a military veteran, and it's kind of comical. You know, we remember those rules like, you know, no chewing gum with your left foot on the, you know, Sergeant Major's grass or whatever it was like some really like stupid rule, but you're thinking, obviously somebody did that, right? At some point in the past, somebody did this thing that they're now barring, and that's why they have a need to to enumerate that nobody's allowed to do this anymore. Well, in that same example, I think closely looking at the Fifth Amendment here, you can see where what they were talking about was examples in the past where the kings. Um, can actually get, I can actually give you, I mean, this was very common in the Roman Empire, and this would be, it was actually called prescript, prescribe somebody, prescriptions. And what they would do is the ruling elite would then 
for whatever reason, for the economic or political gain, would proscribe you, which was actually means to write your name on a list and would be posted in the forum. And then it would be basically a hit list. Anybody could take part in killing this person and allow them to loot their possessions. And then the state would confiscate and that rival would be taken out of power or out of the mix for power. This happened many times in Roman history. Treason trials would follow also, but the proscribed, to proscribe somebody, uh, the dictator Sulla did it, and it was very. Uh, it was brought to a hyper, the hyper mode during the civil wars of Antony and Octavian, when they were actually the second triumvirate. So this is a. There is a deep history of this. These kind of injustices happening that this amendment was specifically made for. Right, and you know, and I could. I think I could comment even on. You know, you look at. Uh, you look at the rise of the church's power along with the king and, you know, pre-James, pre-King James, and you could be compelled to testify against yourself, i.e., just confess you're a witch and we'll kill you quickly. You must be purified by pain. Yeah, but I so mean, as they, they, were, the as they, as they got your... compelling people to admit shit that they didn't do. They were making people... Te- they, they couldn't say, look, I'm just not going to testify against myself today, Okay. You and then they put you on, and then and then they would put you on a rack. They put you on the rack, and then they would uh, you would you right. would confess, confess to anything. Your, you know, confess your crimes, and we'll go easier on you. You know, did you or did you not do this? Now they can still, you know, you can be interrogated, but you have a right to have, you know, a lawyer present, and you can decline to answer. You could say, under the Fifth Amendment of the United States of America, I am exercising that right, and I refuse to answer any of your questions because I cannot be compelled to testify against myself. And what the Fifth Amendment well, does... Well, let's actually... The other let's things actually, in here uh, that you've seen, what the Fifth mm-hmm. Amendment does is it, it takes away the ability of the state to render a punishment for you refusing to cooperate with them wanting you to incriminate yourself. Exactly, and, again, and we'll move on, because they will tie into this the next amendment, because I think we if we get into the right, Sixth, you can just roll right onto that. Yep. Uh, sixth Amendment. In all criminal prosecutions... The accused shall enjoy the right to a speedy and public trial by an impartial jury of the state and district wherein the crime shall have been committed, which district shall have been previously ascertained by law, and to be informed of the nature and cause of the accusation, to be confronted with the witnesses against him, to have compulsory process for obtaining witnesses in his favor, and to have the assistance of counsel for his defense. Roger, and again, you know, what, you know, the state before could what, well, we're going to arrest John Q. Public because he's been out propagating these crazy ideas of freedom, so we're going to lock him up and we're not going to charge him for three years. Well, that's, that's how, I mean, you look at what's going on in Britain today, right? You've got people over there being arrested and not charged and held without crimes because they're key leaders in a resistance movement or an awareness movement, and it's a way for the state to break up, <clears throat> you know, growing resistances, right? You take out the leaders by arresting them and not even charging them, and now who's going to step up? I mean, it's a pretty chilling effect on the next guy who might think that he wants to step up and talk, so he's not going to. Plus, you've eliminated the leadership that, for whatever reason, was, was able to gather these people together in the town square and say, you know, we don't like the leader. So just go arrest. No, if you're going to arrest one of us, anybody in the country, if you're going to arrest one of us, you have to charge us and you have to give us a trial. Now, of course, we actually see that today. You know, you see people waiting 
six, seven, eight, ten months for trials. But that's because we've clogged the system with things like marijuana crimes, right? And uh, one of the other three felonies a day that everybody, you know, commits. Amendment 7. Suits at common law where the value in controversy shall exceed $20, the right of trial by jury shall be preserved, and no fact tried by a jury shall be otherwise reexamined in any court of the United States that according to the rules of the common law. And again, here you have a, a specific outlined prohibition on the government to be able to... Um, I mean, essentially, this is so that power seekers and rent seekers and, and people that gravitate towards positions of power in order to enrich themselves can't break their adversary or competition by using the force of government, right? You, you can't just, you know, uh, you can't just sue somebody. Bankrupt, bankrupt somebody out of nowhere. Just because of right. there being a rival. Uh, yep. order, and by the way, you're going to have to make your case in front of a jury. And that person has a, it's not going to be you and your henchmen sitting on the council pre-convicting them before a word is spoken and then just doing a show trial, which clearly the British were extremely guilty of, especially in the early days of the colonies. Well, hold there. Amendment 8 will basically touch on that. Excessive bail shall not be required nor excessive fines imposed, nor cruel and unusual punishments inflicted. Right, so if the governor wants to, you know, arrest his, the guy that's running against him in the next election, he can't just throw him in jail without charging him. He has to grant him counsel, and or, or allow him counsel anyway. He can't deny him access to counsel, and he can't give him an, ex, an excess of bail that he can't afford meant to, you know, break him so that he can't afford counsel, and then he can't torture him into confession because there can't be any cruel and unusual punishment. And and they can't just say, well, you know, look, you said a bad word about me in public, so I'm just going to confess. I'm going to use the power of the state to take your land. You know, that would be the excessive fine. I mean, you can see, again, by looking at it in this light, that these, that the Ten Amendments are there to give us the tools and the understanding of our rights in order to prevent those corrupt individuals who would find themselves in power from wielding the power of the state against us. You know, that's what these are for. Every one of these ties into one way or another having the ability as a people to thwart tyranny. Absolutely. Let's move on to the ninth. The enumeration in the Constitution of certain rights shall not be construed to deny or disparage others retained by the people. Yeah, and I, I mean, I think it's pretty kind of self-evident how that, you know, falls right into that same thread. No gov- the government's not going to be able to say, well, the Constitution didn't grant you that right, so you don't have it. In fact, it's the other way around. You know, our founders said, if the Constitution doesn't give the government that right, the right doesn't exist. It's not there. And they said that clearly. And we'll move to the final. You know, government of the people, for the people, and by the people. Clearly, that's not where we are today. Uh, No. Not by a long shot. And we'll finish with the 10th. The powers not delegated to the United States by the Constitution, nor prohibited by it to the states, are reserved to the states, respectively, or to the people. 
and that's you know pretty much that sums it up. I mean, that's that's really is a great place for them to put the uh, the capstone on this this structure uh, of rights that are connected by a belief that we have to make these things clear so that corrupt individuals, power-hungry freak bags that come into government can't simply use the power of the state to eliminate political uh, rivalries or commercial rivalries uh, or, I mean, you know, uh, romantic rivalries. I mean, how many times in the history of mankind has somebody who's been in a place of power and, you know, somebody caught their eye and so they went about destroying, you know, their significant other or spouse or whatever so they'd have an out. I mean, it happens. I mean, it's a ridiculous, you know, notion. But the, but the point being is that power corrupts, absolute power corrupts, absolutely, and our founders knew this, that no man is really fit to rule over other men because of his own corruption. So we limit the scope and the power of the government, and we, we recognize our unlimited sovereignty as a people. Absolutely. And I actually think that's a great place to end uh, this episode of Lip Slayers. As always, thank you, Clem, as we try to get through this world that is a battle of epic proportions is happening right now, ladies and gentlemen. Uh, whether you're aware of it or not, the election of Donald Trump was the beachhead in this reclaiming of sovereignty from this globalist onslaught that we have been under for the last 50 years. Uh, we can only hope that he remains strong and the people around him remain loyal and strong to this country. I also like to end this, since we're always talking about you know, what freedom is and what it takes to preserve it. Thomas Jefferson has a lovely quote. The price of freedom is eternal vigilance. Thank you, everyone. God bless you, and God bless America.